Hi, it's Karen from See Me, Hear Me, Love Me. We're the podcast for parents with young children, and we know that life with kids is messy, but we're here to celebrate those messes, from spilled milk to emotions spilling out of little volcanoes. And you know what? We really believe in you. You got this, and you're not alone. I just want you to know a little something about your host. Karen Deerwester is an educator, author, and all-in cheerleader for kids being kids. Karen has been a corporate spokesperson as well as a reasonable and reliable voice for kids and parents in print and on TV on NBC, MSNBC, NPR, Parents Magazine, and many more. Best of all, Karen leads the parent-child classes right here at B'nai Torah Congregation of Boca Raton, Florida. Get ready for some fun, a ton of encouragement, and maybe a little inspiration. Today's podcast is Mining Inner Resources, Finding Everything You Need Within. This podcast is full of hope and optimism with three extraordinary women whose daily practices help them find strength, courage, patience, calm, and unconditional love to manage day-to-day life with kids. They speak from experience and as teachers and writers bringing mind, body, and spirit together. I'm excited to hear their stories and how they got to the mindfulness, yoga, and centering practices that shape their personal journeys and their parenting. Today, I'm happy to introduce my friends and authors, Meryl Davids Landau and Louise Goldberg, and also with us is Natalie Klein Sager, who is a mom of two little ones, and I can't wait to hear more about her life. I will let them tell you about themselves, their families, and how they got to this path of self-discovery and self-understanding. Meryl, will you get us started? Sure. So uh, before I had kids, I spent a lot of time doing yoga, reading spiritual books, going on meditation retreats, and I was actually also a yoga teacher. And it was kind of a shock after my first child was born how little time there was for any of those things. So um, to me, it kind of became apparent as I started realizing more and more that those practices that I had previously done to kind of maintain my center and my mindfulness were not going to be the practices I was going to be doing for a while. So I turned to parenting and said, okay, how can I bring mindfulness directly into my parenting of my kids and it's a it was an ongoing and remains an ongoing adjustment practice Um, but parenting is amazing because there's so many opportunities what to realize I'm not being present I'm not being mindful I've kind of lost myself and and right in this moment, I can bring it back, bring myself back and come from a totally different place. I love it. I can't wait to go back. Tell everybody how old your children are. My children are older children. now. My daughter is almost finished with college. And uh, my son is a couple of years older. So um, I've had a lot of opportunity to reflect at this point on what I have done and what works and what didn't work. And I love it. Parenting never ends, so I continue to have to use mindfulness practices when I deal with my kids. And you definitely have that wisdom of remembering the immediacy of them being little and 
those that the losses of yourself and the refinding of yourself and connections to others and communities and then now to be able to look back and reflect. Right. I, I mean, I have those just because everybody remembers everything, but also because recently I worked on a book on parenting, um, enlightened parenting, and so I went back and looked at essays that I had written years before and really re-immersed myself in them uh, to prepare it for publication. So fresh on my mind. And everyone should have that <laughs> opportunity to go back and really reflect and, and then to be able to give it as a gift to the world. We thank you. Okay, so here comes Natalie, who I'm just meeting for the first time today. Welcome, welcome. Thank you. Um, I'm humbled and honored to be here, so thank you for having me. Um, as you said, my name is Natalie. I call myself the Modern Hippie Mama. And I kind of... Um, I don't want to say fell into that, but I blossomed into that as a result of certain experiences that have presented themselves in my life so far. And I have always been in the health and wellness industry. Um, I've danced my whole life. I've taught Pilates and been in group fitness and, and kind of just been drawn to that healthier version of myself. And when my first son was born, he cried nonstop. And it was to the point that people were like, oh, it's just colic, you know, and I am a firm believer that when a baby is crying, we should figure out why the baby is crying and not just put on a false label such as colic, which really means nothing, um, and to try to figure out what was going on with him. And so as a result of that situation, both my husband and I discovered many things, one being that when I removed dairy from my diet, I had already been gluten-free at that point, that I had a whole new child very shortly thereafter. And so, uh, cert like I said, certain experiences have perpetuated me to bring me back to this earth-centered, um, holistic-minded nature lover, and um, that's kind of why I call myself the modern happy mama, and and I feel as though our children have chosen us to be their parents. And one of the reasons that they've chosen us is so, so that we can have this equal partnership in this lifetime and help each other accomplish whatever our soul's purposes are. And I know that one of my soul purpose is to help empower and inspire and educate moms to take control of their health. And I know my, my children are my teachers in order for me to teach others. Tell me how old your children are and their names, if you if you don't mind sharing. Of course. So my older son, Jonah, is my angel of light. He's four and a half years old, and my baby is, we call him Baby Sky. I, he, he might be Baby Sky until he's 40. I don't know <laughs> at this point, but he's 19 months, and um, he's my angel of love. Okay, so one quick question, and I, it's kind of like the question for all of us, because I know that... Um, the ideals and the aspirations that guide us um, are so um, promising. And then as I was reading that list in the introduction, strength, courage, patience, calm. How'd you feel hearing that as describing parenting? You, you come through the colic moment right. um, by going, no, 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 like I'm, I'm not even taking that into my space at all. Right. Um, the day-to-day -day life with, with two little ones, what's... Um, so I think that the, there are three years and two months age difference, which for my family works out really well. When Skye was born, uh, Jonah was old enough that he could communicate with us. He could help me with the diapering. I could, 
sort of rationalize with him to, you know, to a point. And so that was extremely helpful um, in the beginning. And I suppose I will share this story with you now. It seems like a, <laughs> a nice time. When baby Sky was born, I had him at home. I had this amazing, incredible, raw, animalistic water birth, which was beyond my wildest dreams. I Never did I think that I would be accomplishing that. But like I said before, I think that our children kind of guide us. And when I was pregnant, I know that that was his intention. He was like, you are not having a hospital birth. You are having me at home, and this is how it's going to be. And um, it was wonderful. Everything went, you know, as as beautifully as it, as one could hope. And on day three, I was nursing him and looked down, and I saw that he was extremely yellow. And I had experienced jaundice with Jonah, so I was quite familiar with it. His, his bilirubin levels were rather high, and so I knew that it was really important for me to call the pediatrician. So I called the pediatrician. They had us in right away. Um, and they do this test where they kind of press along your skin to see, and jaundice starts in the eyes and the head, so you see it first in the eyes, and then it works its way down the body, and if you get to the feet, it's really severe. And so I see them pressing, I see them pressing, and they're going down to his feet, and they're still noticing that it's pretty serious. So they rushed us to um, urgent care, which was across the street, and uh, so we went over there. Of course, we were freaking out. My parents, thankfully, live very close to us, and so they could take Jonah. And uh, my husband and I were, were with baby Sky. And um, so they took blood from my three-day-old baby, sticking a needle in his foot, which was not something that a, a very hormonal new, newer mom wants to experience when her infant is crying hysterically. And they're kind of massaging the blood out of his foot and um, very emotional, to say the least. So they tell us, okay, they, they got the blood. We're waiting for the results. Then they come back and they say to us, we need more blood. And, and I was like, you use whatever blood you have. You're not touching my child again. They come back um, a little while later. They're telling us we have to wait. Meanwhile, I'm just nursing him and trying to stay as calm as I can. And then we get a phone call. Um, my husband picks up the phone and I see him, my husband's very laid back, mild mannered, you know, he doesn't have like these grandiose reactions. We're kind of polar opposites in that way. And I see him just bow his head and close his eyes. And I'm thinking, oh my God, what's going on? And, um, he gets off the phone and he's like, to put things into perspective, five to 25 are the levels for Billy Rubin, 25 being severe, five being, you know, no issues. And Sky was at a 32.5. And so uh, we just looked at each other and like, what is going on? This cannot possibly be our life right now. And they rush us to, to the ER. They put our tiny little infant on a big stretcher bed. And there's like nurses and doctors and all this immense chaos and they're calling him the Billy baby and they're you know talking about him as if he's not my precious little baby that I just birthed and they're saying we're gonna have to do um, antibiotics and full blood transfusion and all this stuff and my husband and I are are non-traditionalists we are you know we of course have lots of respect for western medicine that's just not our first go-to and so when they even mentioned antibiotics, we were like, no, no antibiotics. And they were looking at us like, 
if we were to take you to court right now, we would win. This is a life or death situation. Oh, my God. And so I just kind of like a child, put my like a toddler, put my hands over my ears and said, I'm not listening to this. Please slow down. And um, there was this wonderful nurse who just put her arm around me and was like, I know the type of mother that you are. And I'm just letting you know that they're going to do things that you don't like. But this is a situation where we have to do that. And so they whisked him away and were just standing there Hmm. and thinking, what are we going to do right now? So we did a lot of praying. We did a lot of uh, reaching out to holistic healers that I have very blessed to know, many energy healers throughout the country and um, a part of a holistic mothering group who I called one of my dear friends and said, post to the group, tell them what's happening, everyone needs to start praying. And so... Fast forward through the power of grace and community and love. Baby Sky is totally fine. He did have a blood transfusion. He did have uh, antibiotics. He did have a whole bunch of things that I don't even want to think about. I will say this. I am so grateful that he only was given breast milk, so at least I have that on my side. And he had his own little room with um, sound music for just for him, and he overcame it. And I am a full believer that... The, one of the main reasons that he is as healthy as he is today is because of the positive energy that he was just flooded with. Yeah. And so when we talk about power and strength and love and community um, and belief and faith, he is that definition. Okay. There's a big story for everyone to have gotten started with, and I thank you so much for sharing it. Um, I think I need to take a breath, um, and I know everybody out there does. And I, but I think what I just, the moment that, that's just so powerful as we think of this theme of mining resources from within, which was Meryl's phrase from one of the her, page in her book, is that as you're telling your story, I'm thinking, how do we find the strength, the conviction, the optimism, the faith, the trust, the grace, when you have fear? when you feel helpless, when you're not in control. Those are the words I'm writing down because that's what I want parents to have to take away from this is some response, is some comfort, is some peace response. What I just heard from you, which is so powerful, is that you never even touched those feelings because your connection to yourself, your beliefs, your community... And, and, and what you have faith in and the people and the grace and the connections that you have faith in never even allowed. It was like the hospital. There's going to be things I can't control. There are things I don't like. There are things I don't want to hear. There are things I don't even want to allow into my world. This is because what's the, what's the deal on parenting? That's not what I planned. That's not the child I planned. That's not the vision I had for myself. That's not how it's supposed to be, which is, of course, the crisis of our whole world is how do we live when life gets messy. What I love about that, though, is that she was basically talking about not trying to control exactly. the things you exactly. can't control and just working on controlling herself and her community and what what you can control. Because I think as parents, we a lot of times try to arrange the whole world. 
and it doesn't work that and way. And so all you, we can do is work on ourselves. That's thank it. you. And and I want Louise to jump right in on this. But that's I mean, for all of us that are the controllers, for all of us that started listening to this podcast, thinking, I'm going to get a strategy. I'm going to get a tool. <laughs> I'm going to get a fix. You know, I am the queen of telling people there are no quick fixes. Mm-hmm. And yet. What you did in your story and in your journey so far as I've heard from you in five, ten minutes (laughs) is is the thing that I ask parents to do for kids all the time, and that is flip the script. When you're following somebody else's script, you get so far uncentered Mm -hmm. and so far away from yourself that, that that you're in a struggle place. You're in a powerless place. You're in a place of suffering. Okay, take it, Louise. What? What's welcome? Welcome. Tell us who you are and tell us your reaction to Natalie's um, magnificent um, "Say It All" story. Yeah, thank you. Okay. Well, um, I'll just say that I am a yoga teacher and uh, an educator and an author, and um, I became a, and a mom and a mom, and uh, became. But I became a when I became a mom. Um, one of the things that was really important to me was to be able to spend as much time with my son as possible. And um, so I started to do a lot of things that included him. So I was a massage therapist, and I was in, became an infant massage therapist. And, Which is uh, how we met. That's right. I met Karen when um, my son is 31, and when he was in her first class. Aww. He was at, at our ribbon-cutting of four months. At wow. uh, Amanda's <laughs> so place cute. way back when. Um, so we go way back, and and as a massage therapist, um, I learned infant massage so that I could teach it, and then I taught it at family time. I mean, at uh, Amanda's place, and then obviously use it on my own child. And that's of course where the colic, the colic was a big issue. And uh, as a yoga teacher, I started doing you know mommy and me kinds of you know uh, yoga programs, and uh, and then later became very involved with the special needs community. Um, which reminds me of uh, a story which I share when I teach my uh, yoga therapy for children with autism and special needs programs. And it's um, something that is not original to me. It's called A Trip to Holland that some of you may be familiar with. And it's a story about, it's, it's a parent who writes about her trip. She was, um, she was planning a trip to Italy and she had the guidebooks and she learned Italian and she was so excited to see the Michelangelo's and all those beautiful things. And then she got off the plane, and the flight attendant said to her, Welcome to Holland. And she's like, Holland? I didn't sign up for Holland. I'm supposed to be in Italy. All my friends are in Italy. Everyone I know has been thinking about it. I've been dreaming of Italy all my life. And then after a while, she began to realize that Holland, Holland has Rembrandts. Holland has tulips. Holland has windmills. And that there's something beautiful about Holland, too. And, of course, the story for all of us, I think, that we get from our children and that you so beautifully described, Natalie, is that our children will guide us to a place that we never dreamed that we would be and that we have a choice, and our choice is either to be there and figure out how to make it work for ourselves and then ultimately for our family or to struggle and fight and be unhappy and suffer, which... Um, I have to say, I've, I've tried it both ways. and uh, There's no avoiding because those are the pivotal moments that help us make those better choices, I hope. Right, so. exactly. Yeah, and, and so my own son was, 
was colicky and uh, and was uh, had you know uh, terrific challenges with sleep, and so I, who was the queen of peace, <laughs> um, you know, spent um, uh, three years without a proper night's rest. Oh, me too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And three and a half, yeah, yeah uh-huh. over three. That's yeah, until right. I finally quit nursing, and uh, <laughs> oh, and um, and you know, um, and when I would teach other people all these wonderful techniques, and then go home and realize that they didn't necessarily work. So tell us, and this is the question for everybody. I'll start with Louise. I'll go to Meryl, and then to Natalie. In in this idea of like, you know, when you're in those moments, when you when all when you're when you're getting off that plane, and you realize. <laughs> I was the queen of peace. <laughs> and it, it's that idea that it's so easy to have the peace when you're on the mountaintop. It's so easy when you're in your practice to have that connection. Um, and then life just comes and slaps you silly. Where, where in, a, in, in how do you find, um, and for yourself, what have you learned after all of these decades of connecting within yourself, connecting with um, with understanding your body, with understanding the moment, with connecting in the present, where how does it? How do you do it so that it's not um, just that quick fix? That it's not something. What's the difference between how you've internalized it in your life and made it your own, versus um, the the easy answer? Well, because it's not going to be easy. No, I, I guess that's it. I think that, and it's still something that is very difficult for me. I find that as a teacher. It's so much easier to be um, understanding and accepting of other people's children and their problems and their challenges. And I work with children with very severe challenges. My own son, who is, you know, I'm blessed. He's a healthy, strong, happy, you know, individual. I still have trouble realizing that, you know, he has to figure out his own way. And that even though I can see a path that makes so much more sense to me, that I cannot... So when you feel it getting tight around you, when you feel it getting cloudy, whatever the image is, when you want to, when you want to be involved in his path, how, how what, what's your, what's, what do you do? So a lot of times I, I spend a lot of time actually praying for um, non-judgment and acceptance, and also I have to refortify my faith in my son. How do you do that? Well, my husband is much better at that than I am. Okay, because you can't because you, nece- you can't necessarily do it alone. That's you right. You don't necessarily do right. it in isolation. It's, That's right. It, it can, this is the loneliest um, journey, um, and our world often pushes us into very lonely places. Mm-hmm. So, and that and the loneliness is the opposite of centeredness. I think the opposite of the connection. So. If it's if it's your your partner, how lucky! How lucky! Um, right. And then as that circle and gets also bigger and commu- bigger in your community, and also I think to putting it in perspective, to realize. I mean, when I look at the children, many of the children whom I work with, and I look at my myself and my family, and I think, how blessed are we? Mm-hmm. You know, if we have a an issue, how minor is that in comparison to others? But it's still, I mean, I still have to go back to my practice. I wish I could tell you that I had it down after you got 31 it years. I still have to go back to Check my, that off. Moving on to the next See, yeah, I have to go stand on my head. I have to go stand to, on my and head. And turn the world there upside you go. down there you go. so that I see it a different way. And that's, the you know, usually the best thing I can do. And, I, I, and that's why the stories have to keep coming. Meryl? You know, and it comes back to finding 
that center for yourself. You know, I did a piece not that long ago for parents, um, uh, the website, uh, a blog for Parents Magazine, on five mindful activities you can do with your family. And I got some emails from people, like, wanting to know, like, how can I help make my kids more mindful? And it's not about making your kids more mindful. It's about you being more mindful. It's about us coming from a place that's calm and centered. I know sometimes... I have an image in my head. My son was very demanding when he was younger, and I have an image in my head. Sometimes I would, when he would be like, just constantly, constantly barraging me with stuff, and I just needed to get away. I would run behind a door and close the door part of the way so that he couldn't. I, I mean, I knew he was going to find me like <laughs> in a very short period of time. I mean, it wasn't as good as invisibility. It wasn't that big, but I needed though that minute until he found me. Just, yeah. just to. Get behind the door and breathe and center myself. And then once I felt more centered, I could come back and deal with that in a totally different way. How did you give yourself permission? Go, go for it, Natalie. So I was just going to say to piggyback on that, um, when the readers were writing you and saying, you know, how can the, my children be more mindful? I just look at it as we are the examples for our kids and they, are, they don't know anything else except for what they're seeing. And that's obviously how they're learning. So I am very, very, very aware and mindful of that fact. And so when I am starting to feel like, oh my gosh, I just need a moment, I just need a moment, I just need a moment, and I feel like shouting that from the rooftops, I have started to implement different um, routines. So we get into the car and Jonah will be asking me, I mean, he's the most inquisitive child you've ever met. He will ask me questions all day long to the point when he was like three, I told him it's after five o'clock. Instead of having a cocktail, I was like, it's after five o'clock. No more questions. There you go. There you go. <laughs> I'm done for the day. But I, we get in yes, the car yes. now and he's asking me, asking me, and I say, Jonah, mama needs to sit down. I have to take a deep breath. Let me take a sip of my water and I'll tell you when I'm ready. Like I have, and if I'm at the back of the car, Jonah, I'm at the back of the car. When I'm ready, I'll let you know. And it's sort of like I'm doing it for myself, really, because I do need that hashtag peace, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, but also because I want him to see, oh, this is how we calm down, take a deep breath, have a sip of water reground yourself into that moment mm-hmm. but the structure this the the rituals the routines the yeah. predictability of that will also give him such extraordinary executive function to be able to go okay i can pause too right. mm-hmm. i can pause and wait for another human being now i have this incredible empathy because my mom is telling me how she feels um but i still want to ask because i think a lot of listeners out there might be feeling like yeah, 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 but when I'm feeling the questions, the questions, the questions, when I'm getting in the car and I have to get home and make dinner, and they're and and they just spilled the the snack all over the car, and I'm and I'm ready to hide behind the door. It takes a very kind, it takes a very deep kind of centeredness to just be able to say, "I need a minute. Mm-hmm. I need to breathe." I mean, right. that just getting to that first moment is a huge pause and permission for yourself. It's bringing yourself back to the fact. That you are in that moment. So you had mentioned perspective, which is huge. You know, you have to just take a second to say, does this really matter? Like, do I need... And listen, I I love to have control. If I could control everything, I'd be so excited. But I'm aware that it's just the illusion of control. Yeah. So when I'm in the moment and I'm like, okay, we got to get dinner. We got to get pajamas. I want you in bed by this time so that I can go do this. And da 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 Then I have to take a second and say, okay, first of all, if I'm thinking about 100 other things and I'm getting irritated with my kids, it's because I'm not present with them. 
It's either because I'm not present or it's because one of my very basic needs are not being met. If I'm hungry, if I'm thirsty, if I don't get to go to the bathroom, forget about it. Like I'm not, I'm just not going to be who I want to be. And those Halt, are... halt. There's the phrase, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Don't make a decision. Don't act. Don't react. <laughs> totally. Just halt. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, plus, I, I think that, you know, it's funny the kinds of things that you'll remember, even as a, a parent who has a very grown-up child. But I remember nursing my son, and invariably, if I had somewhere I had to be, so I was trying to rush that was. Those were always the times where he would he linger. He would hold on. He <laughs> that's would, right. That's and, right. And that's it was right. like you know, I just knew that 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 you know, I had to pretend that I didn't have to be anywhere. Else. <laughs> there you go. There you go. And, uh, and there is clear research that with 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 nursing babies, yeah. um, that. Mothers talk to nursing babies thinking that they're encouraging their babies to eat faster. Come on, come on, you can and, and they and they engage them thinking like, oh, I'm gonna I'm in I'm, and the babies slow down eating to engage the mom. Ah. So that there is the dance. Entrainment. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's like right. I want this connection and mom thinks I'm I'm doing a good job of getting them to eat efficiently. <laughs> right. No, 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 no. You, you lost that control straight up. <laughs> so I just want to make one other point Please. in terms of, you know, in that moment when you're Please. frazzled or something, you know, you're just completely... Uh, first of all, I love the phrase, beside yourself, because Swami Satchinananda used to say, here's yourself, and you're beside it. And I love that image, because it really just it just takes a second to get back to yourself. You just have to remember that, that you need to take that second. So one of the things that I found, and even though my kids are grown, still find very helpful is when... You know, when you think, um, uh, Natalie talked about her older son who's already four as my angel of love. And when your baby is a newborn and you just look at that newborn, you know, everybody has this image of you're just holding your own newborn, looking at it. And there's no other moment. You are just in that moment. And I, as my kids got older, sometimes when they would be making me crazy, I would just take a second to remember that moment because parents are so present when they're holding their very young infant. It's only when they get a little older that your mind starts to go to all the chores and the activities. So anytime my kids would be making me nuts, I would just like stop and breathe and look at my kid and just remember that how I felt when I was holding them as a teeny tiny baby. And they're the same person, Mm -hmm. so I still feel that way, even though they're much older now. But it really shifts you. Mm-hmm. There is a, a, a meditation teacher that I, a, a Sufi meditation teacher, Pir Vilay Anayat Khan, that I used to study with uh, before he passed away. And he, one of the things that he said about meditation is that a, um, a mother, a new mother, doesn't have to meditate because she is in a constant state of meditation when she is communing with her baby. And uh, and that was kind of gave you kind of a a pass to realize that you were already there. Also, one other thing that I found really helpful for my, myself, when my son was born, um, he had he, he uh, came out very quickly, and so it was you know a very um, unexpected and and uh, I guess sort of um, um, forceful entry, and his head was you know misshapen as is common. Mm-hmm. But it was terrifying for me as a new mom to see my perfect baby boy with, you know, a, a, mm-hmm. like a, a cone head, mm-hmm. which, and, and so 
I, and I knew that as a massage therapist, I understood, you know, this was soft and this would reshape and it would pro- everything would be fine and that he, there was no damage. But still, it was very frightening. And so what I did is I used to do a meditation or a kind of a more of a visualization where I would see him at different stages in his life. And each of them, I would see him becoming whole and becoming healthy in his head, you know, and I ultimately see him growing up. And I would always see him at the end as a man holding a briefcase with a suit, <laughs> with a suitcase, a suit on. Sort of not marked. So <laughs> I ride, my son rides a bicycle, and, you know, for sneakers. He doesn't even know. But, but yes, that was, but that was so comforting to me comforting. to take him through those stages in my mind and to reassure myself mm-hmm. that, and hold these images very strong. And the thing that I hear so often at this table, um, and that so much of the struggle comes from, um, so much when we did our our podcast on helicopteriness, that we all have these anxiety spots, and it's like we can't help but hover, we can't help but get involved, we can't help but overreact, we can't help but push ourselves out of shape even when we're not sure things will be okay, and when you can feel those moments of like looking at your child and going is he going to be okay? Is this all right? Um, so my question back to you is, you know, for you, you had that fantastic visualization where you could reassure yourself um, and commit to a positive future. How do you, what do you do when you're, when you're not sure? Because um, uncertainty, I mean, parent, if parenting is anything, it is into the great unknown. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't know what their world will be. Mm-hmm. We don't know who they will be except for the, you know, we, we, do, we don't have, we, the script isn't written and we have to trust that. So, um, well, there's a lot that you just said, so I'm going to just kind of interpret it in my own way. But I have been known to be very, um, at one point in my life, I would have described myself as a hypochondriac. I no longer describe myself as that. So I feel that one of the reasons why I am no longer quite as fearful, not that I've completely removed fear, I am human, um, but is as a result of meditating, affirming, visualizing, um, yoga, of course, you know, all of that has kind of brought me to a place of of trusting. So trusting that Hashem or universe or God or source or whomever you you kind of connect with has your back. You know, that everything is going to be okay. And although I would like, again, to have control over everything, that's just not possible. So you have to, I think it's important for me to trust that everything is going to be okay in what does okay mean. One of the, One of my affirmations when I was um, in labor and giving birth to Sky was everything is okay everything is okay and I remember my husband Lance saying when we were like practicing you know for for the big day (laughs) he was like everything's going to be okay and I was like no it's not going to be okay you need to say everything is okay it's very different than going to be okay you know and so um, the visualizing of your son in, you know, wearing the suit with the briefcase is awesome because it, it is that everything is okay, you know, everything is okay regardless of, of how it turns out. And you had mentioned earlier about um, kind of bringing yourself back when there's all the chaos and how you can be very peaceful when you're on top of that mountain or when you're in yoga, of, of course, you're like in this wonderful zone and you've got your mantra going and all is well and then you get home and 
everyone's screaming upstairs and you're like, are you serious? (laughs) So what I've started to do is before I even open the door to the garage is I say to myself, I'll look at myself in the mirror and I'll set my intention. Regardless of what's going on upstairs, I am going to choose peace. You know, I want to be proud of myself at the end of the day. And I'm not always proud of myself at the end of the day, but that is my intention. And so most of the time that will bring me back to... Tell us how you put your head on that pillow on the days that you don't act the way you. I can be really say. hard on myself, um, and I because I know that I've started to just say, you know, like it's okay. You don't have to be this. I don't know where it even came from. Like, why do I have this expectation that I need to be this perfect human being? Because that's. I mean, what? And I'm going to come to Meryl because I know she's got a. T- I mean, this is going to have to be multiple podcasts. <laughs> because even that phrase. I want to be proud of myself in that, you know, it's like I want, I'm the observer watching parents. And it's like, I'm so proud of you, even when I know that it's the hardest day you've had this week. Mm-hmm. I am so proud. And I want to be able to, like, fill you up. Like, it's not mine to, to do for you. But it's this idea that it, that, uh, that alone will trip you because... Um, you know, there's so much we have to forgive ourselves for right. because we have all these expectations that it's supposed to be different than than the chaos, than the, you know, like, I, I want parents. I mean, I looked, when I, I remember seeing this child in the hallway way beyond the appropriate age. Um, he, was, he was pre-K, it was end of the school year, he was getting ready for kindergarten, he'd been the mayor of the school, and he's having the biggest meltdown. And I'm like, I love that he can just wear it outside in, you know, inside out. You know, just show me, show me, because we can hold it with you. Show me, because we can share it, mm-hmm. you know. And it's so it's this idea that 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 if we could just be that really, really real place where we could come, you know, parents will say to me, I can't go to, I can't do drop off on Monday because we're having a yucky morning. And it's like, no, no, come cranky. Louise said, I don't feel like talking today. <laughs> okay, well, that's going to make a different kind of podcast than on the day you're exuberant because you've been up all night excited because you have something big to share. It's just whatever will, it's always okay. It's always okay. Right, and judgment is we're out of the moment. Right. We're not being mindful. Because when you're mindful and when you're in the moment, there is no judgment. There is no worry. There is no fear. You know, you were talking about how parenting is you can't control the world. That's life. That's not just parenting. You can't control anything. But what you can can control, what I can control is my own reaction of just being in the moment and knowing this moment is okay. So even if there's something crazy going on, with our politics today, there's a lot crazy going on. This moment is okay, and there's no judgment in that. And controlling ourselves or taking care of ourselves doesn't mean that we don't accept it. You know, it doesn't mean, oh, I'm going to make myself feel different. Well, it means we accept it. It doesn't mean we're not going to work to change it. But we do have to accept we, this we is what's with happening acceptance. in this moment. Right. And then I can go out and try to change then it. I can, then I can connect the dots. I mean, and that's but my But I can only do that image. from a mindful place. Right. I, can I can only, only do, do can, that when I'm centered. When meeting I'm, myself exactly where I am right. mm-hmm. with, with compassion and love. Right. Mm-hmm. There's so say, much more. I just want to Please. say two things. One is I, would, I just want to um, 
say that I loved Meryl's book, Enlightened Parenting, and I, I definitely mm-hmm. resonated with many of the things that she talked about in that book. So if anyone wants to read that book and kind of extend their information, that would be a great resource. The other thing that I would like to say is um, you had said, what do I do when I'm feeling... Um, Guilty, you know, when I'm not proud of myself at the end of the day. And I'm a huge, huge promoter of the Ho'oponopono prayer, which is, I'm sorry, please forgive me, thank you, I love you. And I have spent many a nights saying that over and over and over again, whether it was to myself or to my child or to my husband or to, you know, whomever. And it it is very, very therapeutic. So if someone was looking for a tool, there you go. (laughs) And Louise, tell us, because you do work with a special needs population, tell us about the resources that you have available. And for classroom teachers, because it's never too late. And even if it's not during the early childhood years, your yoga in the classroom breaks. Go ahead, tell everybody. Oh, well, I am the author of uh, Yoga Therapy for Children with Autism and Special Needs, and I teach uh, creative relaxation teacher trainings around the world now. I'll be in Madrid in September. And and, uh, my new book, uh, Yoga for Classrooms, is for general education and for all ages, and hopefully to implement a little bit of tranquility into the middle of the day, any time of the day. So it's for educators, it's for counselors, for specialists, for for therapists. And it's a great thing for parents to give their teachers. A great thing for parents, but but again, to be able to connect what's happening at school, hopefully in this new world, with what's happening at home is a resource for parents as well. So thank you, thank you, thank you. So we always end the same way with the wrap-up, and um, you've got this in magnificent ways. I knew it was going to be an extraordinary podcast so an extraordinary conversation so tell us how have you got this for right here for right now um Natalie oh well how do I have this I am unbelievably grateful um for the support that I have surrounding me so my husband is incredible he is very much um like-minded like-hearted as all of us seem to be. My parents are very proximity, they're very close to me, but also our relationship, I'm, I'm super lucky that we are so close and they're able to help. Um, my in-laws are also very close by, my sister-in-law is close. And although my brother is in Pittsburgh, you know, we all have this wonderful community and family that just, that is what is gonna help me at the end of the day when I am at my You know, just, I can't take it anymore. I can at least go to my parents and say, can you please watch them for 10 minutes? Let me just go outside (laughs) and have some alone time. So that's how I got this. It's, you know, they say it takes a village, and it absolutely does. And that you could call out and share that request for light and love and prayers. I mean, just reminds everybody, go find those that, that, that those circles that will hold you and and nurture you through all this. Thank you. Louise, how have you got this? Well, Karen, I was thinking about the time we went to see Pema Chodron at uh, Omega, and she talked about um, meditation being um, an opportunity to kind of let somebody pull the rug out from underneath you, that it was nobody ever guaranteed you an easy, happy world or life, and that it's the uncertainty, the ungroundedness where you get your strength from. And I was just thinking what a perfect definition that is for parenting, and that when we're feeling our most doubting of ourselves we should just remember that this is exactly the journey that we're supposed to be on thank you and thank you for sharing that the journey never ends because the love never ends thank you Meryl for me uh getting centered in the morning 
first thing is the most important way that I can kind of set the day. So I meditate usually now just briefly, 10 minutes maybe. I used to try to do a half hour, and I used to do a half hour for a while, but I mean, when my kids were a little older, when they were younger, I did two seconds. <laughs> I used to meditate in the bed. I have this in my book. I used to meditate in the bed when I woke up, because a lot of times they were sleeping in the bed with me, or if they didn't start that way, they were ending up that way. And in the bed, and the minute I would wake up, I would keep my eyes closed. And before they knew I was awake, I would just like meditate for a couple of seconds just to really center myself before I opened my eyes. But now that they're not in the bed, <laughs> I can do a slightly longer meditation, but I find it has to be reasonable. If I say it's going to be 10 or 15 minutes, I do it. If I say it's going to be a half an hour, then there are some days when I just don't do it. And then I had a friend who was 99 years old, who died a couple of years ago, who taught me to sing in the shower. Mm. And I do that pretty much every morning. And your choice and of songs? He, well, he used to sing, Oh, What a Beautiful Morning. Aww. So sometimes I do sing that. I like Natasha Benefield's Unwritten. I like just any kind of upbeat, like, I'm, you know, going to have a great day, day or <laughs> whatever. You know, in the shower, we all sound magnificent. And it's just fine. You're in there anyway. You might as well do something that feels good while you're I love it. I love it. Thank you all so very, very much. So that's the mess for today. We appreciate you listening to See Me, Hear Me, Love Me. Seeing little people learn and grow. Listening to parents taking a crazy, uncertain journey. Loving the fun and loving the mistakes. You write the rules. You write your story. We just want to be part of the conversation. But in the end, we know you got this. We'll catch you next week. Take care. Oh, 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 wait. We're growing too. So if you had a great time today, please spread the word to a friend. You can also join our conversation on Facebook. That's with Karen Deerwester. And there's great parenting resources for you at www.familytimeinc.com. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks to everyone at B'nai Torah Congregation for this lovely space. Thank you, David Dweck, for that sweet voiceover. And thanks to The Front and the Follow for the song Listen. We are listening. Thanks, everyone. See you next week.